Hey everybody, thanks for joining us. A couple of weeks ago, libraries and teachers and readers of all kinds celebrated Banned Books Week, which is an annual celebration that emphasizes the freedom to read and it draws attention to banned books through the age, um, through the ages, and particularly those that are currently being challenged. Now, this celebration is usually more than just about any specific book, but really it highlights free speech and um, as well as persecuted individuals or communities that are usually at the center of these banned books. Um, but since banned books lists reveal a lot about what's taking place in culture, I thought this would make for a really interesting conversation with you, Jim. Um, but before we get into any like specific topic or book, I was curious as to your thoughts on just this overall topic of banned books, because it's usually presented, you know, banning books, that's usually presented in a very negative light. But I wonder if it's a little bit more complicated than that. What do you think? Oh, I think it's much more complicated than that. I, I um, or maybe I should say uncomplicated. I mean, banning of books in general, I would disagree with. Just in general, I would disagree with. But parents slash adults protecting the exposure of certain ideas or images to children, I would very much support. So I, let's go ahead and tease that out, that people say, oh, it's how terrible it is to ban a book, you know, freedom of speech and being exposed to these ideas and, and you know, people should not have their books banned. And by and large, I would say, I totally agree. But we're talking for me and really what the heart of the issue is culturally is with children. Okay. And I think um, and, and I would very much support being uh, very careful curators of content with children. And we can talk more about that further if you'd like. In, okay. the podcast. But yes, yes, that would be my, my position in a nutshell. Okay. I want to come back to that, but I want to kind of, let's start generally and then we'll, we'll work more specifically here. So mm -hmm. kind of generally, you know, if we look at the history of banned books, you know, I, a lot of books that were banned years ago are now like required reading in schools. So things like The Great Gatsby or Fahrenheit 451. And so I wonder how about how we have moved from being, you know, particularly offended by certain books or, or content to openly embracing them and what that has to say about our culture. What are your thoughts about that? A lot of people will bring up what you just brought up mm -hmm. as a perfect case study of why we shouldn't be prudes and we shouldn't um, ban books because can you believe we actually banned The Great Gatsby at one time? Come on. And now that's required reading. So, you know, and and they it's used as in that way culturally. Mm -hmm. um, I think the opposite can be made from that. I think you could say that, that what's happened is the coarsening of culture, uh, becoming the increasingly depraved nature of culture. Uh, let me give my own example, Rebel Without a Cause, a movie that made James Dean a big star, one of his big pictures, came out in 1955. And a girl uh, in that movie was called a dirty tramp. Mm -hmm. And she was called a dirty tramp because she wore lipstick. Okay. Fast, for, fast forward to HBO's Euphoria, one of its most popular shows, one of the most popular shows among teenagers. Um, teenage girls are selling nudes online. Uh, they're choked during sex. They are humiliated through revenge porn being circulated. And we now call that daring and bold and uh, pushing appropriate boundaries. Mm. And. I would say that rather than look back to something like Rebel Without a Cause and say, well, gosh, that used to be called scandalous, you know, and pushing boundaries. 
Um, and, and so therefore, let's not, you know, think about HBO's euphoria as anything bad. No, I think that's just a, it's like, this is what's happening with culture as it continually becomes more uh, depraved and the coarsening of it and, and things that would have been unthinkable years ago. Now we're, we're mainstreaming. And we look back at things that, that were scandalous back then. And, and now we just laugh at it. Well, that doesn't mean that, that, that we're right then and they were wrong then. I mean, right now, and they were wrong then. It just means that's the mirror you can hold up to our culture and just see what's become of it. That's a very sad reflection indeed. Um, I want to talk about some of the top challenge books of the last couple of years. So these would be books like Gender Queer by Maya Kobabe or All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, or The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. Just based on kind of those books or similar books, what can we learn about culture Yes, I guess I'll end the question there. What can we learn about culture based on those t those couple of books or books like those? Well, you just gave a lot of books across a long period of time. Uh, for example, Tony's book came out in 1970, Tony Morrison's book, whereas something like uh, Gender Queer came out in 2019. So, that, you know, a lot of time in between those. But let's 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 talk about those books. Um, you and I like talking about books. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think these are an interesting collection that actually reveal two different cultural divides, two different cultural issues. Uh, Gender Queer was a memoir, came out in 2019, of a family or where someone wrote a memoir to their family um, about what it means to be uh, non-binary and asexual. It won the Alex Award from the American uh, Library Association for... Uh, for books written for those between the ages of 12 and 18. And because of that, a lot of middle schools saw the Alex Award and started and said for 12 to 18, so it's been giving it to 12 year olds and putting it into the schools. And it found its way in middle schools. But this is not only a book that introduces um, the ideas of being non-binary and asexual, but is it's an illustrated book and very sexually explicit book. And many of the illustrations and pictures are, are very sexually explicit. And the thought of that being with a 12 year old alarmed a fair number of people. And I would say appropriately. Hmm. Uh, it's the same with All Boys Aren't Blue, uh, a memoir of a, of a queer black man. Uh, and um, it's very descriptive, extremely mm -hmm. descriptive. So uh, the, those two books I would set off apart a bit from the other two books. Um, those two books, that the, the two that would be more reflective of LGBTQ concerns or agenda items, I think that's really the issue. I think both of those books are attempt to normalize uh, what the memoir is about and to maybe even advocate for it. And it certainly uh, introduces it explicitly uh, if to a 12 year old at what most would consider an age inappropriate phase of life. And um, the, the next two, uh, the Hate You Give is um, uh, it was a young adult novel, and it was related to racism. Mm -hmm. And it is vulgar, to be sure, if you've read it, um, but uh, very vulgar. But it's 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 about racism and about uh, and what many would say racial injustice. And uh, but some felt there was an anti-police vibe to it. Yeah. And that but but other and but I think it just fell into the race war stuff of our that's dividing culture. And uh, certainly that's why you see the bluest eye um, by um, uh, uh, Toni Morrison's book, um, 
who's a novelist that I've, I've appreciated. Um, but she wrote that. That was her very first novel. A lot of people may not know that. And it came out in 1970, as I mentioned. Again, it deals with racial issues and particularly self-esteem. A woman is made to feel badly for, because of her. She's not pretty and she has dark skin. Uh, and it has very mature topics, incest, uh, child molestation, very mature. Um, but and, and, and takes on a lot of, you know, racist issues, racism, racism. So I would I would take those two books kind of out of the same conversation as the first two books. Okay. Um, and I think they fall into different cultural things. Uh, and uh, I think there's some people that uh, maybe are going after like Toni Morrison's book or, or even um, The Hate You Give because of just um, they, they see it as maybe inflammatory in terms of racial issues or maybe, uh, you know, anti-white or anti-police or something like that. Um, I'm not saying that it is. They are. I'm just saying that that's the rhetoric around it. But I think that's very different than putting sexually explicit with pictures and advocating LGBTQ lifestyles of one form or another to 12 year olds uh, like the first two books. I think that's 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 a little bit. Those are two different things in my in my thinking. Sure. Well, then I want to chase that a little bit. This is based on to um, what we started to talk about earlier, which is different ways that we can ban books. Right. Like these books may make like an official list, but there are also other ways that we can ban books. Like we can choose for ourselves not to read particular books. Or as you mentioned, a parent can ban books from their children's libraries or shelves. And so um, you made the case already, or you started to say that parents should be doing that, um, should be kind of, um, they should be careful about the books that they expose their kids to. But can you tease that out a little bit more? Like what kinds of things should a parent be looking for and yeah, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So what are, what were your thoughts on that? I think parents, if parents don't do it, who is? Mm. I, I mean, really, I mean, it, it, the it, there's, you know, the more I kind of focus in on parenting and I've been saying, I've been ringing this, this bell now for a while. I, I just feel increasingly that parents need to be reminded that their job is to be informed, involved and in charge. Uh, it's not to be popular. It's not to win a likability contest. It's not to have your child view you as your best friend. You are to be, you're the parent, you're the parent. Um, and when I say informed, involved and in charge, and I'm, I'm obviously I'm not saying you're not in a loving relationship with them. I'm just saying that your job is not to just try to navigate the waters of parenting by just trying to appease your child. Um, here's what I mean by informed, involved and in charge informed. And I'll keep this focus on books. Be uh, informed about a book's content. Um, I, 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 I can't think of a single book my children read that I wasn't familiar with the content and I already felt good about it and signed off on it and felt both what it had and the level of age appropriateness, even though my kids and a lot of kids can read well beyond their level. I mean, you know, you've got second grader reading at a high school level or seventh grade level. You can have that, but that's don't be deceived by that. Hmm. That doesn't mean you start feeding them that kind of stuff. Um, depending upon the book. Um, but uh, be informed about a book's content and not and not just books, obviously websites and podcasts and streaming sites and videos and so. Uh, involved is the second one. Informed and involved. You are the one developing their hearts and their minds and their souls. So it's not something you want to drop off or abdicate or have just leave to somebody else. I think that I don't care how you school your child. I think we've talked about this in other podcasts. I don't care how you school your child. Um, you need to be owning their education. You need to be invested in their education. You need to be shaping, tailoring, debriefing. I mean, 
uh, and and um, and we'll link to that that conversation we had in the show notes because uh, that was a that was a, an important conversation that we mm -hmm. had. Um, I think it was on school choice. And then finally, in charge, as I mentioned, you're the adult. Uh, you're the mature one. The very the very definition of of a parent child relationship is that you've got a mature and you've got an immature. And so you, you need to be in charge. You're in charge of their intake. You're in charge of what they read um, and, and, and should be and need to be and, uh, and not act like you're not or act like you're powerless there. And, and if a child says, but I want to read this book, all my friends are reading this book. Well, you know, sucks to be you because mm -hmm. I'm your parent and you're not going to read that book or, or I'm not going to read, you know, whatever it is. And obviously you can, finesse that better and, 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 <laughs> and I just did. I mean, I'm trying to make the, a quick point. Informed, involved, in charge. Hmm. Now, it seems like the fear that is behind a lot of book banning, you know, whether it's an official book banned or for a parent and their child, is that, you know, exposure to certain books is going to either, as you mentioned, like normalize particular content or it's going to contain com content that is you know, harmfully violent or excessively pornographic or something. But then proponents would say that you should be exposing, you know, people to different types of books or that represent different types of lifestyles or choices because it helps us to grow in acceptance and empathy. Obviously, wisdom is usually found in the middle of all the extremes. And I wonder if that's the case when it comes to book banning as well. No. Oh. I I want no middle road here. Okay. Because I because the, the argument you just made, which I know you were just voicing the argument, which is that it's healthy for a child to read this adult material. It's healthy for a child to to be exposed to these ideas, and they might even go further and say it's healthy for a child at eight nine to be aware of of uh, what a trans life is, and that not you know or 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 you know how two men have sex or whatever, and have it explicitly described. They might say that's a healthy, that's a good thing. Um, uh, no, uh, not, not an ounce of no. Um, and, and let me make it, let me make the case a little bit more sophisticated than just, you know, some cranky religious guy that, that how it might be perceived. Um, one of sociologists, uh, Neil Postman's most provocative works was titled the disappearance of childhood. And, and his thesis was, was that children are being robbed of their innocence and their naivete and their ability to even be children. And he contended that in our world, we ask children to embrace mature themes and mature issues and uh, experiences long before they are ready. Uh, Postman argued that the very idea of childhood is that there's a time when a young person is sheltered and uh, from certain ideas and experiences and practices and expectations and knowledge. Uh, they are sheltered from adult secrets and particularly sexual ones, certain facets of life. Uh, it's mysteries, it's contradictions, it's tragedies, it's violence are simply not considered suitable for children to know. Only as children grow into adulthood and uh, mature themes revealed in ways that they can assimilate psychologically and emotionally and spiritually. Um, uh Postman's analysis, which he first offered in 1982, um, was simply prescient. I mean, today you have 12 and 13 year old girls among the highest paid models in America presented, put forward as knowing and sexually enticing adults. Children's literature 
barely even exists anymore. What's mm -hmm. called what goes under the banner of young adult fiction is, is is laughable. It's as mature in its themes as anything on the adult lists. Yeah. Uh, the language of adults and children, including what they address in life, is is virtually this has become the same. It, it's 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 virtually uncontested that among sociologists that the behavior the language, the attitudes, the desires, even the physical appearance of adults and, and children have become indistinguishable. Uh, even the children on TV, if you if you watch children TV sitcoms or something, they, they, they act like little adults. They talk like little adults. They're, they're knowing like adults. Uh, they don't differ significantly in their interests and their language and their dress and their sexuality from the adults on the show. Uh, making the same knowing wisecracks and and tossing out the same sexual innuendos. But when the line between the adult world and the child's world becomes blurred or no longer exists, childhood disappears. Uh, it, it is ripping their childhood from them. It is making them even more vulnerable to praying pedophiles. It's inviting them into adult sexuality. And so... Uh, I think that it's it's to say that, oh, no, it's really healthy for, for a child to be introduced to adult ideas and themes and, you know, to broaden their mind, almost like almost like they're talking about take this wonderful literature course. Or I think every child should have a trip to Europe or or go to Disney World. It, it's just insidious hmm. uh, because it, you really are are robbing them, stealing their childhood with great, terrible, negative ramifications uh, for that young person's life. So I, 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 I don't buy that rhetoric one second. Mm. I'm glad you put it that way too, because I, I feel like just as a parent myself with young kids, I feel like parents can often make the mistake of wanting their children so enthusiastically to love reading that, that they kind of lower the bar of what types of books their children are reading. As long as they're reading, it's great, but I love that you're – you kind of nuance that to be like, no, no, it, it's not. Yes, we want to cultivate a love for reading, but having the appropriate books for them to read is just as important, if not more than more important than developing a love for reading. So I totally get where parents have a hard time there, but I like how clearly you stated that because I feel like that is such an important um, piece of the puzzle to consider. But okay, so let's take let's take kids out of the equation for a second. Cause I want to think about book banning with regards to adults and how we do that with our, within our own reading lives. And I'm thinking, for example, of, I know a couple of years ago, maybe it's more than a couple at this point, but you had done a series um, based on the 50 shades of gray books. And I remember in the series, you had talked about how you had read the books just from the perspective like of a cultural researcher. And then you were kind of teaching us a lot of what we do on this podcast, kind of how to think about some of those themes, um, you know, from a Christian perspective. Um, but so I'm, I'm interested, like for those of us, should we take a similar approach like as adults? Like, should we be reading some of these books that maybe do present a different worldview from ours, you know, assuming that we're much more mature now than we were as kids, but from the lens of like a cultural researcher? I don't know. I guess I'm just trying to think through if you could clarify, what does this mean for an adult who is supposed to be the mature one in the in the room? <laughs> Sure. Uh, you're right. I, I did. We did a series called Fifty Shades of Grey. And, and it was talking about it was a series on sex and, and, and scripture and what it has to say. And it was it was a, uh, at the time Fifty Shades of Grey was um, I can't remember if that was the actual title of this of the series or not. But we can I'm sure uh, we'll find out and yeah. get the show notes appropriately linked if need be. But um, that was a, a 
phenomenally popular book at the time I did that and people were reading it like crazy. And that always gets my attention if a book takes off and I want to know what people are reading and, and how it's forming them. And so I did read the first one. I didn't read any of the others. One was enough for me, <laughs> that particular genre. Uh, should you do this? Uh, and, and I get asked that a lot because like when I'm, when I'm speaking, when I'm writing, you know, I'm, I'm talking about various authors and, 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 thinkers and philosophers and movies and plays. And, um, and I am a, I'm a, I, I try to be a student of culture and, and someone will say, oh, but I, I mean, should I, should I see that movie? Should I, like, like I, 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 I mentioned HBO's Euphoria earlier and how, how, how do I know what's going on there? Because I watched some of it. Um, and someone will say, well, gosh, I don't know that I feel comfortable doing that. And, and I think that's a, a really fair thing. So should you do this? Let me, and, and I get asked that, you know, you seem to, you know, avail yourself of a lot of things that you you watch and you read. And and again, that's because I feel it's part of my calling, it's part of my vocation. But should you and should I? Uh, let me say that it depends. Um, and let me give you some questions. Uh, when you read a particular thing, how does it affect you? Um, and that's going to be different for every person. Someone can read uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, for example, clinically, as as I as, as it as it was for me, it was very clinical. Others could be um, it, it would it would mess with them sexually and bring up all kinds of lust and 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 uh, and um, just thoughts and things that they just they just did not need. And I get it. And I I I, I mean it was it was a graphic book, um, but it didn't affect me that way. But if it had, and if books like it in the past had, then that would be something I'd want to stay away from. And uh, so how does it affect you? Which kind of leads, let's say it affects you negatively. Here's the second question. Are there alternate ways to get that cultural insight? Let's say that there's a movie that's making all kinds of waves and uh, it's rated R, maybe for nudity or R for graphic violence uh, or whatever language. And you don't feel comfortable seeing that movie because you know that movies like that have messed with you in the past spiritually as someone else it may not be it's again it they, it doesn't affect in that way but for you it does and that doesn't mean that they're they're right and you're wrong it's just understanding how you're wired up okay so are there alternate ways to get that cultural insight well i would say yes there are things called book reviews there are things mm -hmm. called movie reviews uh where you can get detailed synopsis and even where it says okay watch out we're getting ready to give spoilers and you're saying, give me spoilers. I want to know everything about this movie because it's shaping culture, but I don't want to watch it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, ask yourself, you know, are there alternate ways to get that information? And then a third question is, are you developed enough uh, yourself, character, worldview, theology? You know, are you are you developed enough to engage um, this philosopher's work or this 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 non-Christian's take on whatever or or you know, um, uh, reading a book that takes on Christianity directly or something mm -hmm. or read or just just something that's coarse, uh, uh, reviewing the books that we talked about earlier. Um, you know, how, where are you just able to do that without it affecting you? And I, and I think that that's the real key. I've often put it to people this way. And this is not just true for engaging cultural material, but this is also true for just your relational life. You know, because people say, well, you know, I want to have relationships with non-Christians uh, for an evangelistic reason. I want to be able to invite them and stuff and create that. But um, 
are there any boundaries that need to be around my engagement, even with non-Christian individuals? And so I think for all of this, here's what I would say. Um, watch out for being the one influenced mm. rather than the one uh, being, uh, rather than you being the influencer. Mm. And so watch out for being the one influenced rather than having all that knowledge and exposure uh, influence you. And so in any area, uh, ask yourself, how did this work? Was I able to engage this and study this and, and um, in a way that was dispassionate enough in terms of my own proclivity to sin and temptation that I was really able to do it as a student or, you know, no, that one, that one, that one messed with me. And I, I know it did something to my soul and I'm going to have to process that and probably not avail myself of much of that kind of material in the future. And also, you know, address, you know, what this obviously revealed about me as I try to, you know, get that out of your, your system. So I, and I, and so I say all that, you know, from my own experiences and also just working with people. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's, 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 you have to be, I mean, for me, I, I think one of the, one of the, one of the ministries God has, has given me, um, is to to have this whole thing the bridge of church and culture and and understanding culture and 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 so i i part of what i do is is work very hard at being a student of culture and so i'm sensitive to these issues and i think they're real issues and i'm and i'm glad you raised it because they're not they're not inconsequential but we also hopefully you know uh we we are also aware of what's going on in a way that helps us think christianly about them mm. i'm so glad i asked you that last question because i feel like yeah what what I had originally asked about books, based on your answer, is so applicable to so many areas of our lives. I think that will be that's really helpful. I feel like if you didn't jot those things down, then just rewind this for a few minutes and then write those down so that you can um, kind of run through that list in a variety of areas of life. So thank you for that, Jim. That was very insightful. Uh, well, I don't want to keep you any longer than I need to. So let's end the conversation here for now, and we'll pick up with another conversation next week.